Do you know that at the college we have the highest enrollment in the history of the college? That's cool. That is really good. So there's a lot of people there. And we need a lot of wisdom. We need a lot of resources. We need a lot of God's help on a continual basis. We don't have it all together. We are just a group of people doing our best. And so there's a lot of things that are happening today. My hope and my prayer is that you will let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now I'm gonna make a a couple of uh, comments here today that you may just say, oh, great, you know. You know, it's, it, it all comes down to my participation in funds. Look, at some of you, I realize some of you don't have, have the money. You don't want to sell your yacht. I get it. And, uh, you know, you don't want to sell your third home. And, uh, you know, I understand that quite seriously. But you can pray. You can believe with us. You really can, for real. And I hope that you will take hold of that and you will really run with that and, and believe God that, he is, that you are making a difference. I was saying to Helen earlier, I'm realizing as time goes on that prayer is absolutely vital. Prayer is, is huge in the equation of things. And I find that even in the night, I was praying for you guys way more than I wanted to, okay? Because I was awake and I was, uh, we were awakened at, uh, the oddest thing happened about 2 a.m., rough, maybe 3 a.m., all of a sudden, this bang. It sounded like a gunshot. It actually did. So much so, I got up and I called the front desk with the hotel where we're staying. And I said, I, I don't want to say it, but I think, I, I think a rifle or gunshot went off here. And they said, well, maybe it's the roof. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I thought, okay. So I told Betty Ann, I said, well, I said, they, they think it's the roof. I said, that explains it in my heart. I just didn't want her to worry too much. In my heart, I'm thinking, that was not the roof. <laughs> like, you know, because she said, sometimes, you know, when it gets cold, and it's a, well, I'm thinking, it's not cold, it's warm. But anyway, it woke me up so much, and it put, it unsettled me a little bit. And uh, um, so I was praying for you in the night. I really was. And I was praying you before, for you before that. And just asking God to bless you and, and to help you. And I'll tell you, it's very encouraging for me, even though I only spent a short period of time here, but I still invested part of my life here. And so you guys mean something special to us. And so it's, it's a thrill to me to see what the Lord is doing and to see the, the facility changes and so on and, uh, and some new faces here. That is really great. And I just encourage you. I commend your pastor and his wife. And I just ask you to keep praying for them, keep pulling together with them, keep believing with them. And I'm telling you, wow, the kids wing. Have you, you've all been down there, right? <laughs> you probably did the work, I assume, part of it. Anyway, it, it just looks wonderful. So inviting and so, you guys already, you had the structure, but you didn't have what you have now. And I know it's more than surface. I know it's more than just paint on the, on the bricks. You know, it's, it's more than that. You're catching the vision and you're believing God and you're pushing ahead. And everybody said, Amen. Because we're going for it, because the time is short. I was listening to one of the radio, uh, pardon me, the TV uh, evangelists this morning on the television before we left, and they were talking about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they said, but next, and next Sunday we're going to be talking about, <laughs> and then they said, Christmas time is coming, you might want to buy some of these things for your, your kids and grandkids online. And, blah. and I said to Benny, and I said, we don't believe in the imminent return of the Lord. We believe in the soon return of the Lord. Imminent, it means like any second. 
We don't, we don't believe that. We, we, we kind of do. I know, we believe it, but we, if, if I told you, and if we believed that he was coming back in a few seconds or a few minutes, wow, would that change things? If we thought he was really coming back on Friday, wouldn't that change the way? But that's the way it appears that the disciples largely lived with this idea, this thought that Jesus could come back any time. And I think that's where most of us are endeavoring to live. But the imminent is like any second? No, no, no. He could come in three seconds. But we're living as if he's coming in a year or two or three or five. That's really the truth of it. And I'm not criticizing us, I'm just speaking the reality that at some point, at some point, we've got to say, how much time do you think we have to get this community? How many more opportunities are we, are we going to have to serve hot chocolate downtown when we're putting up a Christmas tree? Like Those opportunities come and they go. And so grab on to them in Jesus' name, and it's not too late to keep going after it. I, I get all worked up. Yeah, okay. But... You know, okay, yesterday it was, I was out, to, uh, last night, we were out to some fine dining. We went to um, Boston Pizza, <laughs> and uh, hey, it was fine. <laughs> and I invited our, the server was a very nice young lady, and I invited her to come to the service today, and I was asking her if, if she knew where the building was and so on, and she said, yeah, I actually went there. I went there as a kid, she said, and I also went there later on for my schooling as well. Later on, I don't know, middle school or what it was, I didn't catch the full details, but she said she'd been here twice, and I, I said, yeah, she said, yeah, I think there's a church in there now, I don't even know, and she didn't, she wasn't sure about it, but she knew about it, she just wasn't sure of the details about it, and when I and, you know, when I invited her, I said, you know, I said, why don't you come out? I said, I'm the preacher. I'm the preacher tomorrow. I said, you could come out. And, and she says, oh, I work at 1030 tomorrow morning. I says, well, then call in sick. You know, and, uh, and I thought, no, that's probably not the right way to go. You know, like, like that's probably not the right advice. But, uh, you know, my heart, my, sometimes your zeal gets ahead of you. You know what I'm saying? And, but I just wanted her to know that, she, you know, she would be welcome here. I said, oh, they've done unbelievable things in the building. You wouldn't even recognize it. I said, you remember how you used to go down the stairs? You had to keep going. And I just rattled it all off to her right there. You know, she didn't tell me, you know, oh, mind your business. Don't try to proselytize me here. She was very receptive. I'm 25 years old, maybe. Maybe 26, 27 in that zone. You know, okay, maybe 28. But I don't know. She, she, was, she, was, she was so nice, wasn't she? She received it. And what the devil tells you this, well, if you invite somebody to your special Christmas banquet, oh, they will never come, and you'll make a fool of yourself. And the enemy says, just be quiet and pray for them, and don't do anything beyond that. God doesn't want that. God wants us at times to get off our knees and do something. Amen? Amen. So follow your pastor and his wife. Run with them. Pray with them. Believe with them. And let's see the kingdom of God continue to grow. How thrilling this morning as we're setting up the vanguard table at the back and, and, and the pastor is able to introduce me to, a, to a, a beautiful lady that said, yeah, she just came to the Lord. And he, he says, when was it? And it was in January. And, she came. and so here, she, the kingdom of God is growing right before your eyes. Isn't that cool? That's worth a hallelujah. The kingdom of God is growing right here, right now. And I know that by and by, should the Lord's return not be imminent in this second, 
And we come again sometime and this wall is moved because there's no more space and you had to move back. And you say, well, I don't know, Pastor Keith. Well, listen, maybe you don't know, but keep your, keep your negative thoughts to yourself, amen? <laughs> and pray it out of you because God wants everybody in this town saved. Everybody, not just us. He wants all of us saved. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Okay, I'm going to just keep going on the way I'm going because I'm just going to. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you have a Bible, you'll find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that the Apostle Paul, he looked at things a little bit different and I want you to be aware of how he looked at that because it fits in perfectly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and beginning at verse 19 it says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He goes on to say, to the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews, to those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And so when I'm talking to this young lady at Boston Pizza, I am not speaking to her as I would necessarily speak to somebody who is 40 years old in the, in the Lord. I mean, she's obviously not, in, she has not accepted Christ. It was obvious to me that she, she wasn't a parent, let's put it that way. That she, so I spoke to her in a certain manner that was consistent with where I think she is probably at. And so that's what God wants from us, right? That we would speak to people honestly and openly. Now, you don't have to get in the ditch to get somebody out of the ditch, right? And so don't take this too far, right? Some people go into the world and they start cussing and swearing and they say, well, I'm just being part of the world, trying to win them. Well, that's not the way you do that. That's taking it way too far and everybody said amen? Amen, amen. yeah. Some people even go so, well, I go to the bar just to try to win them to Jesus. Well, how come they're carrying you out? You know, like, come on. I mean, you're not winning no one to Jesus. You're hurting your testimonies, what you're doing. You know, so don't take this too far, you know. The Apostle Paul said, I will do this. Why? So that by all possible means, I could win some. I could see somebody come to Jesus. I could see somebody come to the wonderful saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. No, you need to keep going. You need to keep sharing your faith. You need to keep telling people. We're not too full. We're not too big. God has still got a plan for you. He wants your neighbor saved. He wants your enemies saved. Remember how we talked about that over and over, and I'm still saying the same thing because the word of God hasn't changed. 
The only time we change what we're preaching is if we're preaching our own stuff, then we have to change with the times. But if we're preaching the word of God, we just have to keep preaching the word of God and keep encouraging the word of God, and that's what we do. And so there, I, I completely digressed. I hope you're happy. I, <laughs> I blame you totally, dear Lord. And uh, I just want you to look at this video right now. Hello, my name is Joel. I'm in the pastoral program here at Vanguard, and I'm graduating from the Bachelor of Religious Studies this year. From as early as I can remember, I was called to vocational ministry. As a little kid, I remember drawing this scribbled image of myself as a preacher, and that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. Years later, uh, I think I was 13, being at Alberta Beach Camp, I remember weeping at the altar as uh, God reaffirmed that call to vocational ministry in my life. I remember at the time I was actually, it was Northwest Bible College and I was adamant that that's where I was going to go. And as years progressed and through high school, I suppressed the call or ran from it and uh, I ended up going to a different school and took business. And I was miserable those years. I knew that God was calling me to vocational ministry. And as time went on, I couldn't escape it. It was only by the grace of God that he brought me back to the school. And I'm so thankful for it. So in the process leading up to Vanguard, the whole thing was an act of faith. I knew that God had called me and I knew that I was being obedient coming to Vanguard but I didn't know how I was gonna pay for it. I had student debt from previous schooling and I had been laid off from the oil industry and it just was not financially, financially possible for me to come to school. But we walked by faith, not by sight, and I applied in faith knowing that God was gonna provide. I would have not been able to do my schooling without financial scholarships and bursaries. There's no way around it. I didn't even anticipate the scholarships that I would receive. I just applied in faith and they were critical in the process of me graduating and finishing this program. I heard it said once that sometimes our greatest contribution to the kingdom may not be something we do, but someone we raise. God has put all of us into different situations vocationally, but we're one body. And as some people work in medicine or business, commerce, all different areas of society, we function together as we build each other up. And we're at a point as a nation where Christ is no longer the center of focus. But it's institutions like Vanguard that are raising up leaders, world changers, spirit-filled, innovative leaders for such a time as this. And it's not possible without the financial contributions from people like yourself. So one, I want to say thank you. And two, we will never know the impact and the scope of what the contributions have been to this place, this side of heaven. That young man, as he said, is in the fourth year. And I'm going to get the guys to put the PowerPoint up uh, straight away here. I have a few frames I want to show you. And I want to talk to you, obviously, a little bit about the college in particular. I don't know if you realized it or not, but you actually own the college. Did you know that? You actually do. The churches of the Pentecostal Assembly of Canada actually own the college. 
And so by virtue of your pastor, when he goes to the conferences, he has a vote and he is representative and that's what makes up the governing body of the college. I also want to tell you, which I'm very pleased that you can see the building there, part of it. It's a massive building. It's uh, right in the heart of Edmonton. It's a God gift. It's wonderful because of wonderful people who stepped up. We have no debt. Isn't that something? So many uh, schools, uh, especially private schools, have an enormous debt, which is crippling them. But we've been very fortunate for people stepping up and pulling with us, and we have no debt on that building. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't cost a fortune to run it. As Wayne can attest, when you get an old building, it costs money. <laughs> it costs money because boilers go and stuff. I mean, it's, it's still a big job. But to not have that big payment is awesome, especially in the heart of Edmonton. And so we thank God for the facility. We thank God for the, what he is doing. As I mentioned earlier, we have the largest enrollment that we've ever had. And we have probably 240, 250 students, but uh, well over 300 when you add the online people. And, uh, you know, frankly, <laughs> that's getting pretty full in there. But we can probably go another maybe 50 or 60 students. I'm not exactly sure. And then we're going to have to start building and adding on further like we already have in the past. And so we are thankful for what the Lord has done and for what the Lord is doing. I don't know how many things you would realize about this, but when it comes to the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, of which we are one right here, one of them, we have about 1,100 plus uh, churches across Canada. Out of that, we have 3,726 ministers. Out of the 3,726 ministers, 2,441 of them are over the age of 50. Okay, out of the 1,070 churches, to be exact, we have right now, 151 of them have no senior pastor. Now, you know it's not easy finding a pastor. You know for Drumheller, it's not, it wasn't easy to find a quality pastor. Oh, we could have filled the spot pretty fast, but we wanted somebody quality, and God was merciful to us, and you got a great pastor and a great pastor's spouse, and they pull together as a team and do a great job here. And everybody said amen. Amen. They really do. They were a God-given gift to us. But there's 151 churches currently as of today that have no pastor. They, we can't, you know, some of them, frankly, in smaller settings, they've even stopped looking. They just stopped looking because they're, they're frustrated with it. So uh, let me carry on. Out of 1,070 churches, 284 have pastors between the ages of 60 and 89. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an older pastor. They're wiser. They're more refined. Um, okay, well, maybe not, but, you know, <laughs> the point is we're not putting down, you know, uh, the senior pastors. We're simply pointing out the obvious, and that is if you look at your neighbor right now, look really close on their forehead, there's an expiry date there. If you look really close, it is an expiry date. And, and, and it's the truth. It's an expiry date. I don't care how godly you are. There's an expiry date on your life. Amen? There is a, there is a checkout moment. And so that is coming. And so our, our vacuum of, of pastoral leadership is growing. It's not increasing. Some say, well, we're going to have a real crisis in 10 years. No, we have it right now. We have it right now. You said, well, Pastor Keith, that doesn't make sense because all these people, I know now, but you know, we're endeavoring to graduate students with a heart for ministry. Only God, of course, can do what only God can do. And so it's a very 
uh, important situation. It's a very uh, a far-reaching ministry. You are a part of it. We need you to pull together with us. Part of the information I want you to be aware of is that every time we have a student come to us, it costs about $16,000 per year to have one student. The student pays $8,500 in tuition. Now, for those of you who have sent one of your uh, students or one of your children to the Bible college, you, you've thought, well, man, that's, that's expensive, but you're paying about half the rate, okay? The rest of that money has to be raised by faithful churches like this and by individual donors who have a heart for the ministry. I, I'm not exaggerating. There's no government funding. There's nothing like that. We're, we're, we don't, as you know, according to some of the leadership of our nation, we're, we, are, we are not valued very highly, let's put it mildly. But we're not doing what we're doing to please our politicians. We're doing what we're doing to please our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, amen? There's a big difference. And so we're not uh, looking for any government handouts, but what we are looking for is that the body of Christ to rise up and to support our hands. It may or may not surprise you that out of our 130 churches in Alberta, when I took over this job in May as the vice president at the college in charge of trying to get people to partner with us and try to understand the need of pulling together, there were about 36 churches that were pulling with us. That is all. And that is not acceptable. And so we're hoping and we're asking straight up that you would support your Bible college on a monthly basis. We pray that pastors and boards will do that. And we thank you for what you have done as a congregation. I didn't even look in the records before I came. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. I didn't necessarily want to know all the details. I just wanted to be honest about a presentation here with you and not be biased in any way. And so we need people to step up. We actually do. Uh, so you can do the math. 240, 250 students, you know, and about seven grand we need for each one. Like, I mean, do the math. It's a lot of money. And it's overwhelming. So let's not be as some of the people in some of the churches, some places, sometimes say, well, I can do so little, I will do nothing. No, no, no. Don't do that. Participate. Be a part of the solution. Be a part of what God is doing. That would be wonderful. In the night when I was woken up by that gunshot, and while I was praying for you, I wrote this down on a piece of paper because I thought it was from the Lord. And so I wrote it down, and I wrote down how that I do ask and I do encourage, obviously, you to prayerfully, and that's not just a cliche word for me, I'm so serious, that you would prayerfully consider what you guys might want to do, collectively or individually, whatever you're going to do. That's between you and the Lord. But I got thinking about it, how that when you look at a tree, for example, the tree, if you want to just use this as a bit of an analogy, obviously Jesus Christ is our root, amen? I mean, that's just, the, uh, the tree is dead without the root, and the root is Jesus Christ. And I would suggest to you that the trunk of the tree is the body of Christ. It is you guys. It is the church of Jesus Christ. That is the body of that tree, that trunk of that tree, so to speak. And out of that come the branches. And the branches, I would suggest to you, would be ministries like some of the mission work that we do. And certainly some of the, uh, certainly the Bible college is in there. We'd be one of those branches. And that as we are attached to the trunk of the tree, 
and we get our encouragement and we get our nourishment. It's gotta, the trunk has got to stay strong. And so what I wanted to say to you that as I make this little presentation to you and I talk to you about these things, I don't want anybody to say, Yo, my goodness, that's awesome what the college is doing. It's how wonderful that all these young people are, are studying and, and training and I'm going to start sending my tie to the Bible college. No. No. Amen? Absolutely not. Do, don't ever divert what is intended for the home church, the local church, toward a mission project or toward the Bible college or anything like that. Never. I would be grieved, frankly, and I think more importantly, God is grieved when we do that kind of uh, basically bookkeeping shuffling to make out that we're giving something when we're actually giving nothing. And so I want to just go on record of saying that I have believed, I have practiced my 39 years of ministry. I've preached it because I believe it's in the Word of God that your, home, that your tithe belongs in your home church. It belongs in your home church. It doesn't get diverted to missions. It doesn't get diverted to, to brother so-and-so. It doesn't get diverted to, I've heard people even diverting their, their, their tithing. Well, my kid goes to a Christian school. I'm sending him my tithe. What? How do, how do you equate that? I don't know. But the, the bottom line is, I don't have to preach to you about this because I know that you guys are faithful. I know that because I pastored you for a season, and I know that you're faithful. But I want to just go on record of saying that because sometimes we can get, you know, because uh, I might get worked up here, and you might get all excited and say, and you might want to throw me like $100,000. And I just, you know, if that belongs here, don't do that. If it doesn't belong here, how quick can you write the check? Amen. <laughs> I mean, because we, we, we need the help. I'm not apologizing for that. But let us do things decently and in, in, in order according to the will of God and let it be consistent. I, I think it's very important that we don't give because the pastor preached a good sermon last Sunday. We give because the Word of God teaches it, and that's why we give. We don't give, as people have come to me over this, you're not going to believe this. They actually came to me and actually said things like, well, Pastor, if you'll start this program, we'll start paying our tithe. Oh, my goodness. Keep your tithe. Your heart's wrong. No, 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 no. We don't do that kind of thing. We give as unto the Lord. And we put people in charge. We put a pastor and we put a board in charge of, of, of using those funds wisely under God, accountable to a degree to the congregation, but most importantly, accountable to God. And so that's the way we do that system. And it works because it's biblical. Now, I have to go on. I know you'd like me to stay there, but I have to go on. And, uh, yeah. And so the college is doing sin. How many of you recognize that guy? Yeah, there's Adam. That's, our, that's one of our boys. It's our youngest son. And he's just coming. He's going to be finished third year. And so I just wanted to say hi to you guys from him. And uh, he's working hard. And uh, just, uh, my goodness, he's, he's, uh, he's a busy guy. But there's a whole bunch of students at the college. And they're all, I wish you could all come to one of our chapels, even this past Tuesday, and to see 240, 250 young people jammed into a chapel, praising God, worshiping God, unabandoned, just going for God. Like some people say that the, whoops, 
Some people say that this generation is this and that. It's not true. There's wonderful people in this generation that are crying out to God, God, what can I do? How can I see your kingdom grow? How can I see something awesome happen in the life of the community that I'm serving? And God is merciful, and he is doing great things. Praise his name. So I want to just uh, tell you something that happened a few days ago. And uh, I'm not setting you up, but I am. But (laughs) this is what happened a few days ago. It became available to us. We're aware of this. It's a fourplex right across from the college. There's 20 rooms. There's four, five, 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 five. And we have this place for our students. We've been renting parts of it, and now it has come up for sale for $1.3 million. Would you mind giving me $1.3 million? <laughs> and uh, I'll go buy it in Jesus' name. And it won't go, not, not five cents goes to me, it goes to the college. But the good news is this, quite seriously, the window is really small. We just got, we did, they just got word yesterday, literally, on my cell, I got word that they have accepted our offer tentatively, so it's in process, you know how it goes. So we have a small window. This is the good news. Somebody who we know, it's actually, I'll tell you who it is, it's the Redmond Foundation. Somebody put this foundation together years ago because he had a gazillion dollars and he just wanted to make sure that the kingdom of God was advanced. And so the Redmond Foundation has said, you know, this is a worthwhile project. This will help the college. It'll help provide studi- uh, uh, housing for the students. It's very important for the furtherance of that ministry. And so they came forward and they said, we will give you $400,000 as a matching grant. How many of you know what a matching grant is? That means we have to find $400,000 to match their four hundred, dollars and then in essence we'll have $800,000 toward this. I don't have copies of this for everybody, but I'm going to leave it there because somebody might want to look at it. But quite seriously, I am looking, we're actively looking for people who would maybe want to partner with us. And not necessarily churches, but sometimes individuals. And again, we're not talking your tithe. We're talking about maybe you want to do something different. You have some funds you want to invest in the kingdom in some other fashion. We get that. And so I want you to be aware of that. And that is in our face right now, this opportunity. And you know what's going to happen? I guarantee you this is going to happen. Now, I know this isn't probably a fundraising wisdom moment, but somehow it's going to happen. Amen? I believe somehow it's going to happen. You say, well, well, good, I don't have to do nothing. Well, God, God will use somebody somehow, some way to do this. Have you noticed this in life? I've noticed this in my 39 years of ministry. By and by, God always does it. He always does what he's going to do. The opportunity comes and the opportunity goes. And I have been at the point, and I've many people have in their life, where they just say, well, we'll just let somebody else do it. But I'm encouraging you to give it some prayer. And it may be a small donation. I don't know what it'll be. But I want to ask you to consider what you might do. Now, I realize, again, there's all kinds of other needs out there. But uh, the Bible college is the most important. Amen. Let's move on. No, I'm joking. It's one of the many you just hold on for another minute? How much time do we have left? There's something else I want to say. Go, go forever? Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Will you turn it with Matthew 6? I want to talk to you a little bit more about Matthew 6, all right? This is so important. 
Matthew 6. Does anybody have a Bible in the house or what? Or on your cell phone? Okay. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by God. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. These are the words of Jesus Christ. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with the trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Unless you give us permission. And when the people gave donations to the college this week, we did not put it into a bulletin. Unless you give us permission, we will not tell everybody what you did. That's between you and the Lord. But when it comes to giving needy people stuff, a bag of groceries or something nice, I want to just ask a little, real quick question. How many of you in the house at some point in your life have had somebody come to your door and give you a bag of groceries? Lots of you. Lots of you. I won't ask the next question by a show of hands. But if you've ever been on the receiving end of something and then you find out a week later they went and told everybody, how would that make you feel? Not very good. You kind of think, well, man, was I just an opportunity for them to boast? And, you know, so you wouldn't feel so good. Unless, of course, you're really hungry and then you're just thankful for the food, don't matter where it came from. Amen? But there is this thing in life called respect. There is this thing that God says when we come to minister to needy people. He wants us to, to be very mindful of our motive when we're giving to people. I'll tell you, some of the best giving I have ever seen in my life. One day, my wife and I, on behalf of the church, not on behalf of us, on behalf of the church, we took four bags of groceries to a single mother. We took them, and it's great joy, even if it's not your personal stuff. It's fun to give, it really is. And when it's your own personal stuff, it's fun to give that as well. And so, not to be labeled a hypocrite in any fashion, I assure you that privately we do what we do. But I was this time, we were acting on behalf of the church. And we took these four bags of groceries to this lady, the single mother, and she was overwhelmed with joy as we gave them to her at the door. Tears. I mean, she was happy, wasn't she, Betty Ann? It was great. But then the most unusual thing happened. I thought it was unusual, but it wasn't. She goes, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And she's taking the groceries and she's putting them in the house. And, you know, thank you so much for these things. I'm going to, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take two of these bags of groceries because my neighbor's in the exact same situation and I'm going to go give her these two bags of groceries. Thank you so much, Pastor Keith, Betty, and we're like, wow. We thought we were giving something. And here, the very first thing she's going to do before she even looks through the bags, she's thinking of others. Wow. Isn't that humbling? When you hear that kind of motive in her heart, she was not boasting about what she was doing. She was just like overwhelmed that, hey, I just had my need met. That means my neighbor's need is met as well. Often, too often, when we get something special from God, we kind of hoard it to ourselves. And I don't think that that's a good thing. 
I think it's much better if we can share it and give it away to somebody else as the Holy Spirit will lead us. Wonderful story and a true story. The Bible goes on to say, when you pray, isn't this something that God gave us instructions how to pray? How many people in the house, by saying amen, pray? Ooh, weak. Weak. How many people in the house, by saying amen, pray? Better. Better. That's not a, that's nothing wrong with boasting to say you pray. That's, that's okay. You're not going to like these scriptures. It says, it's when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men to tell, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you, know, what you need before you even ask him. This is how you should pray And he goes on to give instructions. But before we get there, I want to just remind you, this is not talking, this is not suggesting that we don't have prayers, corporate prayers. For example, the praying over the boxes that we did did a few minutes ago is completely in order, wonderful, awesome, and inspiring that we agree together and pray together. Absolutely. But it's talking about pious prayers. How many of you know the difference? There's a difference. And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about those kinds of prayers where you're saying one thing and doing something that is quite different. That is not pleasing to the Lord. And this is what Jesus said. Our Father in heaven. This is how we're supposed to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer, we call it. But it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we were praising God this morning. And it's part of worship. It's part of praise. It's part of prayer that we are saying, hallowed be your name, God. And you can expand that for an hour as you pray. You know, hallowed be your name. We magnify your name. God, we count our blessings and so on and so forth. And then we go into your kingdom come, Lord. Your kingdom come. We're reminding ourselves and and in our prayer we're saying to the Father, Father, your kingdom come. This isn't my kingdom. This is your kingdom, Lord. This is your kingdom. And not only your kingdom, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Now why would you pray your will be done? Doesn't God always get his own way on earth? Does God always get his own way? The answer is no. God does not always get his own way on earth because he has made us free moral agents. We can decide. You can say yes. We can say no. That's why the Bible talks about he is willing that none perish. Remember that? He's willing that none perish. It doesn't mean none will perish. Some will perish because some will not turn from their sin to God. It's a grievous thing, but that's what happens. And so God, Jesus says, you need to pray that way, that your will be done, God. Obviously, if it was always done, why would we pray your will be done? We pray your will be done. God, have your way. The Bible also says, on another part of the scripture, it says, pray about everything. I used, my, my wife used to drive me a bit crazy, okay? How many of you have a wife like that? Yeah. Tell you going like this. <laughs> I saw one I saw one guy, it's okay, dear? <laughs> yeah, crazy, yeah. 
but she was right. She would always say, God cares about the little things, not just the big things. God cares, cares about everything. And then, of course, I, I, I finally understood the word of God that actually says, pray about everything. And so we're really practicing that more than ever, praying about everything. We prayed about coming here. We prayed about what we're sharing. We pray, we pray about everything because we know that in our own flesh, we will surely fail. And so praying about everything. God, have your way. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Well, number one, in heaven, God always has his way, right? 100% of the time, never ever once does God not have his way in heaven. On earth, it's different. So the Bible says, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Lord, let your will be done here, like it is in heaven all the time. Here, it's not all the time, so we ask for that to happen. It goes on to say, give us lunch, Lord. Give us lunch. Give us the daily bread. And the ladies way in the back are saying, yes. <laughs> but no, it'll come. It'll happen. Give us our daily bread. In other words, Lord, take care of our physical needs, God. Take care of us, please. And it goes on to say this. Oh, forgive us our debts, Lord. Everybody say amen. We love that part. I don't like the next part. As we forgive those who have sinned against us. It must be a typo, amen? No, it's not. It says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive, have forgiven rather, our debtors. The Bible says that we're supposed to pray that way. God, forgive me the way I've forgiven others. Wow, I preached this one time, pastor, in our congregation. I preached this. I thought it was okay to preach the Bible. Do you know sometimes the pastor gets in trouble for preaching the Bible? Did you know that for real? Does anybody in the house think it's wrong to say the Bible teaches clearly that we are to forgive those who have sinned against us? Are we in one accord? Amen? And this dear soul came after the service. said, Pastor Keith, I can't forgive so-and-so. And I was very kind and pastoral. I wasn't mean-spirited at all because let's face it, friends. Let's be honest about it. Some of the infractions that have come our way have been from the pit of hell. And it's hurt. it hurt. Some people have been misused and abused in horrific ways. And I'm not going to pretend that, oh, oh, just forgive them. No, 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 no. This is serious stuff. And so I'm not diminishing your pain or my pain. But I have to go back to the word of God and it says forgive. She says, well, Pastor Keith, I can't forgive. I won't forgive. In fact, if you're going to keep preaching this, she said, I won't, I won't come here. I'll quit the church. And I was very pastoral and tried to convince her and her husband who was trying to, he was taking the side of the word of God, not my side, but the word of God. And he was saying, he said, you know, called her by name. And I don't say her name, but she couldn't be convinced and she left the church over the pastor preaching that you need to forgive each other. My friends, there's times when your pastor is going to have to preach a word that you're going to go away from this building and go, you know what? That hurt. And the reason it hurt is because it was right. But would you really rather go to a church where every Sunday you go skipping out the door knowing that you're a dirty, rotten sinner and nobody ever challenged you? Is that really what you want? We don't really want that. 
The Bible says that a real friend's gonna tell you when something's wrong. Humbly, of course, not arrogantly, not mean-spirited, God forbid. But come alongside and say, brother, have you thought about this? Maybe you're hurting yourself and others when you do that. You know, it's, it's important. It's important that we would forgive others. It doesn't mean that we don't correct people. It doesn't mean that we don't set up boundaries. Of course, of course, of course. But at the end of the day, forgiveness has to happen. Forgiveness has to happen. And we pray, God, forgive me as I have forgiven others. And so many, many times in my prayer life, what I will do, and I, th- I hope you will do it, and if not, I suggest you do it, and that is that you start, when you pray, I, I pray out loud, Lord, I forgive anyone who's ever sinned against me. I forgive everyone who's ever been cruel to me. God bless them. God help them. Now, I must confess, in the early years, it wasn't the most sincere prayer. You know, it wasn't the most sincere prayer. I told you before about the guy who's had a marriage problem, right? He had a marriage problem, and he came to the pastor and said, all of his problem, he says, well, start praying for your wife. He says, I am, God, kill her. <laughs> but he said, no, wrong prayer. You know, anybody can pray a prayer of curse. No, prayer, the prayer of blessing. God, please work it out. God, have mercy. Because how do you want to be treated when you mess up? With mercy. How many of you mess up? I'm the chief. I mess up. And I want to get mercy when I mess up. And so I should give mercy when somebody else messes up. It doesn't mean there's not a hard conversation. It doesn't mean that there's not uh, uh, repercussions for what we did. It doesn't mean that. Those are all intact. But again, forgiveness. I, I love this one that I saw on the television not that long ago. Where the individual, maybe you saw it as well. Uh, his brother was killed by a police officer. And um, right in the court, the guy in his victim statement, victim impact statement, he said right in the court to uh, this person, I don't wish you any ill. I don't wish anything to go wrong in your life. I just hope that you come to Jesus Christ and that you live a full life. I don't want to even talk about what happened to my brother. We know it was wrong. And I just, I forgive you. And then he said this. Maybe you saw it as I did. He said this. He looked at the judge and he says, he says, he was just about going to cry. He says, is it okay if, if I hug her? And the judge paused and, and he goes, please. And the judge agreed. And they embraced in the court the killer and the victim's brother. I thought, what a picture of the forgiving power of God. Most of us can't get our head around that. We don't need to today. But we can look at it as an example that when Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Father, that that's actually what he wants us to do, to actually forgive people. Sometimes you can't fix it up. Ex-spouses and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's the, that ship has sailed. You can't, you can't fix it. It's gone. It's over, you know. But forgive and just let it, you gotta let that stuff go. Otherwise, it's gonna just burden you for the rest of your life. You say, but Pastor Keith, you don't know how rotten that guy was or how rotten that woman was. Doesn't matter. Because when you look close at my own life, I find out that I'm 
a broken saint as well. You know what I'm saying? And I need forgiveness. Different sins, yes, different sins. But nevertheless, sin. Nevertheless, shortcomings. And so the way we apply this to our hearts and lives. And then it goes on to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, recognize we have an adversary, the devil, who hates us. He doesn't want Drumheller saved. He doesn't want things to go well. He wants things to go terribly. It says, lead us not into temptation. Lord, Lord, don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the enemy of our soul. God, help us not to get tricked. Help us not to get drawn in. Please, Lord. And then he goes on to reiterate. Then, then Jesus goes back. He, he backs up the prayer. Do you, you notice that in the scripture? He backs it up now. He goes back to the part we hate the most. And he goes, for if you forgive men their sins against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Your Father won't forgive your sins. Wow. Pastor Craig, I'm going to encourage you at some point. No, it's not going to go back for me, is it? If you can get it to go back a couple frames where Adam is, I would appreciate it. I want to talk to you as we close today just a little bit about Adam. And uh, what I was going to say is that maybe at some point it would be cool. I don't know how it will all work out, but... At some point, I would love Adam to actually stand before you and, and share his testimony of what God has done for him. I heard it in the prayer request about addictions, whoever made that prayer request. And I'll tell you, any pastor knows that this is a real problem. It's a real problem in the assembly sometimes, and definitely those people that are coming to Christ Many, many people suffer from this. They've been tricked by the evil one. They've been pulled down. But this beautiful young man, Adam, he is a lot older than he looks. He's actually 33. He's going to be 34 on Christmas Day. Hard to believe. He's got the baby face. And he sometimes, he, he still, they ask him for ID when he's going to go get a popsicle. And, uh, you know, and he was frustrated by that a few years ago. I said, don't be frustrated. I said, that's a gift. You look, you'll be thankful in a few years you have that young look. Some people don't guess his age, but he's been through a lot. He, he left our home late as a teenager, and he, went, he was in the world for many, many, many years. He was incarcerated. He was addicted. He was on the streets of, of, of Calgary. It was hell for us as a family, and it was even worse for him. It was, he was so lost and he was so broken and so addicted. You say, Pastor Keith, this is your son? He was, yeah, he was raised in a godly home. Yes, we never hung him up, we never hung him up, hung him up by his feet, never did anything crazy to him. But he just got in the wrong group and he made the wrong decisions and he went the way of the world. And the devil, first chance he got, grabbed him by the throat and tried to kill him, literally. And as, a, as God is my witness, through a series of events, after being incarcerated for a significant period of time and all the rest of it, he came out of that beautifully. And seven years ago, approximately seven years ago now, he found himself with a blood infection laying on the floor of our house because we had encouraged him and invited him to come back to the house. He came back to our home now as a man, and he laid on that floor, and he heard God speak to him and called him into ministry when he was sick as a dog lying on that floor. And now some would say, and he even said, well, what am I supposed to do now, Dad? You know, 
And I mean, some people have tattoos because they, it's for decoration, right? I get it, I'm, whatever. And, and some of you, frankly, look a lot better with them. You know, <laughs> you needed some help, you know? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and Adam's got them too, right? But they're symbols of the world for him, is what he had. So he says, look, I got this. And he said, I'm in the, he said, I've been through so much. Like, my word. I said, Adam, this is why we do what we do. God's in the business of taking wrecked people and fixing them up. And just because you have, just because you made all these mistakes doesn't mean that you're disqualified. Let's see what the Lord will do. And so by and by, he saved up his money, he went to college, and then he would, again, he was faced with it, you know? You ever been in that situation? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When they say, okay, great, we're glad to have you come to our school, or we're glad to have you for employment, we got a job for you, but we need you to give us a criminal record check. And you go, oh, oh. <laughs> that ain't coming back blank, you know? Get out the folder, you know? And so here it comes, you know? And so he, how is he going to get into Bible college with all this junk, you know? And God made a way. God made a way. He opened the door. He got into college. God is blessing him. And then he's got the crossroads again. Listen to me very carefully. Now he's being, now the enemy's really getting mad because the enemy does not want him. The enemy thought he almost, he tried to kill him, didn't quite make it. And so now the enemy does not want him to be serving God in all things, called to be a, a, a spiritual leader, a pastor. Come on, no. But God has spoken. And so Adam said, he said, Dad, what do I do now? I said, this is what you do, Adam. I said, you take everything that's in the dark and you place it right in the light. And you just let everybody see it and you tell your testimony without glorifying the devil and you see what God will do. And he did it. He shared it in this failed Pentecostal church two years ago. He shared his testimony for the first time and told everybody what he had been through, blah, blah, blah. And the enemy did not get glory, I assure you. But he told the broad strokes and, and some of the hard things that happened to him. And then he talked about how Jesus has rescued him and saved his soul. And they were many mature Christians like yourself in that congregation. Guess what they did? They all picked up stones and rocks and started throwing. They all started to applaud and praise God. Because they knew the mercy of Jesus is still active in the world today. And for those in this room, you've ruled yourself out. You think that you're too bad. You're too good. No, don't listen to the enemy of your soul. You say, some of you have ruled yourself out for small, relatively small things. But the enemy keeps telling you, no, you did this. You did that. You terrible person. And somehow the enemy is getting, he's getting to you. And I want to remind you that God loves you. He cares about you. And he gets the last word. Let him do what he's going to do. He is the one to be praised. He is the one to be glorified. He is the one to be trusted. And everybody says, hallelujah, because that is what he has for you. And uh, the only reason I share part of Adam's story is because he has gone public and he's given me permission. He says, say whatever you want, Dad, because now he knows. The enemy hasn't got that over him no more because he took it right out of the darkness and put it right in the light. And so the enemy, whatever. He said, Dad, what if people don't accept me? I said, well, that's their problem. That's their problem. That's something they'll have to deal with. And nobody's given him that kind of attitude. I didn't tell him this, but a lot of people who've been through stuff like he's been through, they write a book. <laughs> they go on the road, you know. 
I said, he, he doesn't want to do that. He just wants to, that's who I was. I said, well, this is what I did. When I was a teenager, back in 1970, and uh, 79, <laughs> I went to see Nikki Cruz. Anybody remember Nikki Cruz? Oh, some of you do. Awesome. And he was a gangster. He was a murderer. He was a murderer, like flat out murdering guy. And then this guy by the name of David Wilkerson went to the streets of New York and, and this gang leader got saved, gloriously saved. And I remember as a teenager, there were thousands of us in Hamilton, Ontario, and we went to the program and we, went to, we were all ready to hear the stories about how he killed people and how he did all these terrible things. And he gets up to the pulpit and the first thing he says, he goes, Nikki Cruz is dead. He doesn't even exist. And all he talked about was Jesus Christ. That's all he talked about was a glorious salvation. He wouldn't give the devil five seconds. And I'm so glad to even see that in my Adam already. He doesn't want to talk about the garbage. He says, yeah, 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 it was all, that, yeah, that happened to me. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about hope. Let's talk about a future. And that's what I want to leave you with here today. That you have a future. Don't let the enemy trick you. Don't let the enemy lie to you about these things. Greater is Jesus in me than the devil who's in the world. Amen? Greater is he. And he is so much greater. And he is an awesome God. And he loves you. And he cares about you so very, very much. And again, I have to thank you so much for your patient hearing today. It's a pleasure for me to come and see you guys again. And uh, one of my challenges, Pastor, is that when I come, I honestly, my, my heart's full, and I need more time. I need more time.